Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a post-game edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Sports Now Network. My name is Jared Prugar. I'm alongside Kevin Quigley and Joe Smelter of Nittany Sports Now. Gentlemen, it was a very disappointing game for Penn State, 38-25. to Just mere hours before the game, Penn State found out that they would be without, or Penn State fans, I guess I should say, found out that they would be without Olu Fashanu and Kalen King. Two big-time losses, in addition to Chop Robinson, defensive end, in addition to Johnny Dixon, who has gone missing. We're not quite sure what's going on um, with that. James Franklin had some pretty telling comments about certain things, about opting out, and just much like every coach has had over the course of the last few days of bowl season. And that's kind of the state of college football right now. That's unfortunate. Penn State, I think, probably – this game against Ole Miss uh, was bitten by it harder than they ever have been, probably since the Outback Bowl, I guess I, I would say. Um, and even then, I think today's game or Saturday's game really was the hardest that they've been hit by the by the opt-out bug. Yeah, and I don't want to speak for Jared or Joe, but it is the state of college football, and it's an unfortunate state of college football. Since the, event, since the advent of the college football playoff, the four-team playoff, there's 130 teams, and for some reason, it seems if you're not one of the four teams that make the college football playoff, you don't care about your bowl game. And it's really unfortunate for fans. I, I think there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time and a lot of money going down to Atlanta. Um, hotels, I'm sure, down there are very expensive, spending money at the aquarium and all the other things that you can do in Atlanta. And the team kind of just doesn't show up. And this is this is not to say that it's not the right decision for their future career. However, when you look at a guy like Johnny Dixon, who, like you said, went a wall. We don't know where he is. He didn't make the trip and was never in the discussion of actually playing this game. And you look at a guy like Kalen King, who's maybe a day three draft pick after not having the fantastic year. He's an underclassman, and he doesn't make the start either. And those are guys who both could significantly improve their draft stock today if they shut down Jackson's dart like Georgia did or like Alabama did. And neither of them chose to play. Penn State gets lit up on defense because they don't have a starting quarterback who's actually played it and started a game. And that's just what college football is nowadays. And it's it's unfortunate for anybody involved not named the players who are foregoing their final game of eligibility. Yeah, and I think to an extent, I agree. I, I have no problem with Fashionu opting out or Kalen King opting out because those guys, King remains to be seen, but he could be a high pick. Olu definitely will be a high pick. So I understand that the way that it happened was strange. Uh, strange is a word to, that I think would be appropriate, you know, making the trip, um, Franklin implying that they would be playing on a snap count and then availability report comes out and they're not playing. Uh, that, I think, could have been handled a little better. But I think when you talk about guys like Johnny Dixon, and I said this to some of the 21, 21 players like Ellis Brooks uh, and Derek Tangelo, who both opted out. Um, Johnny Dixon, I think he's going to be an NFL player. I don't know if he's going to be too high of a pick. And when you're saying, when you think about that, you're kind of, you're passing up the last chance to play, you know, with your friends. 
teammates, um, your teammates, uh, the guys who you've played in Johnny Dixon's case, he's been a part of the program for three years. So um, I think that's something that may, they might not seem it now, but a few years down the line, a guy, and Johnny's just an example, but guys like, you know, Derek Tangelo hasn't caught on in the NFL, nor has Alex Brooks, and I wonder if they regret not using that last chance to play in the Outback Bowl. I can't speak for them. Um, but I think that's a possibility, and we'll see what Johnny Dixon's outlook is in, in a few years. So the guys make their decisions for themselves, and that is what it is. But I don't dismiss that they could be cheating themselves. Um, as for the game, uh, defensively, Penn State definitely had an ex- multiple excuses, right? There were guys that opted out. Abdul Carter got hurt. The other... Uh, draft guys, Curtis Jacobs, Adisa Isaac, they were on the snap count that we fought Kalen King and Olu Fashion, who would be. Um, but offensively, besides Olu, man, who you played, by the way, five games without last season and did fine. Not that Olu's not valuable, but you're kind of, you're to an extent used to playing without him, right? Um, and there was nothing there, nothing from the receivers, nothing from Drew Aller, and there was no excuse. So, Defensively, yeah, they, I think the game was played with a bit of an asterisk. We didn't even talk about many of these not being there, but offense was basically at full strength, and there was just absolutely nothing. Joe mentioned the timing of it. We found out with the availability report that Olu and Kaylin King weren't available. And looking at some of the other content that was produced by other sites, I, I think Daniel Gallon had this with 24-7, um, I, I forget who we talked to after the game, but there are players that didn't know that the, those guys, I, I think Kalen King specifically, wasn't playing, they weren't playing in that game. Um, and I mentioned, I alluded to this earlier, James Franklin met with, and, and by, by met with KJ Winston and Tyler Warren, he mentioned in the in the press conference that they needed to get together as a team, as a staff, to talk about how to handle this type, type of stuff um, previously. Now... He met with them in the hallway leading to the press conference room. Like, the media wasn't even out of the hallway. They took themselves out of the hallway and into, like, a little private area to talk about this. So I, I think Penn State was caught off guard from some, some of these decisions. God only knows what the hell the deal is with Johnny Dixon, right? I don't think Johnny Dixon is going to be a day one or day two guy. Um, Kalen King, I think it remains to be seen, but he was very much like Joey Porter Jr., hot to start. Very lukewarm uh, to end after they kind of called him on some of his um, some of his ways as uh, as a cornerback. Um, but Olu, I mean, listen, I'm not one to judge. This is a multi million dollar decision. This is a life. This is a, a family changing decision. This is generations of generational wealth that we're talking about here for a guy like Olu Fashionu. Um, he's done almost all he can do. But again, like Joe said, the Penn State offense could have played very well without him. The fact of the matter is they did not, and that's Penn State, Mike, that's Penn State offense in a nutshell. You know, Drew Aller is Drew Aller. Yes, he's a five-star guy. But, again, I've said this time and time again, and I will continue to say this almost every podcast or every time we talk about five stars, that does not matter once you get to campus. The issue for Penn State was not the running game. They established that pretty well. I thought they played uh, really well. I'm not quite sure about how they utilized Katron Allen versus Nick Singleton. Comparatively speaking, I think they went with first quarter, fourth quarter for Nick Singleton, second quarter, third quarter for Katron Allen, which is absolutely bizarre, or at least that's kind of the way it seems. Theo Johnson only played a half. I didn't really see him get any action after he got his touchdown. But Tyler Warren, man, Tyler Warren played played lights out. 
and Trey Wallace was the best Penn State receiver, which isn't saying much um, at all because Penn State's receiving core has been, I think, uh, less than stellar. Um, and that might be even overselling them a little bit. But again, the Penn State offense had, had every opportunity to do something, but like they have in big games, they did not. Yeah, and it felt like Olu was more of a coach's decision than it was a player decision. He warmed up, he dressed, he was on the sidelines in full pads, ready to go. And, and that's the other thing too, right? Like they're on the sidelines in 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 full uniform. That's what kind of and Joe and I talked about this in the press box. That's it was just so strikingly bizarre. Like you know, there are pictures of Olu warming up, and he still has his catapult stuff on, like all of his body tracking stuff on. That to me, and, and plus the timing, something just doesn't add up here. It, it's a little weird to me. No, but Olu didn't owe, owe this program another game. He gave this program 12 more games than he needed to. He could have been a top five pick last year. And, you know, he got through this season healthy. He proved that he could make it through 12 games healthy because last year he was marred by injuries. But He's a guy who's going to have a 10, 12, 15 million dollar signing bonus potentially if he's number 2, number 3, number 4 overall. Johnny Dixon and Kaylin King it, it, it's just not adding up. Chop chops the same way. Suffered a head injury against Ohio State. Out he misses a few games. Defensive end, we saw what happened to Abdul Carter, I'm sure we'll get to it later as well. That's a position where you can get hurt. Offensive tackle, that's a position where you can get hurt. The cornerbacks just opting out. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And then just to have that much inexperience on the outside, it really leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And, you know, if that's what they just determine is best for their careers, who do I, who am I? And who is anyone else to say that, you know, they should have done something else? It's life, man. You got to run your own race and they're running their own race. It's just, it's unfortunate for the rest of the team and, and frankly, for the fan base as well. And what's also disheartening is you talk, we talked about the Outback Bowl and how there were a ton of guys that opted out of that game. Well, Penn State beats Arkansas in that game. That's still a disappointing season. Remember, they were 2021, they were in the top five. And to go eight and five, it's better than seven and six, but it's still not good. This season, yeah, it, there would have been disappointment because you had national title hopes coming in and didn't meet them. But Still, beating a top, a borderline top 10 team. Uh, well, now it's going to be a top 10 team, but that came in number 11. Beating Ole Miss to win another New Year's Six Bowl game, uh, to finish uh, sixth, going, winning all six, which no team has ever done. That there would have been something to be said for that, and it would have meant more. Um, so yeah, w- who knows what happens in this game? Um, I still, because of how Penn State's offense played, I wouldn't lock it up as a win if the whole defense um, is there. I think it's definitely possible because we saw what this defense can do. Um, but, uh, yeah, and Ole Miss honestly wanted the game more than Penn State did, and I don't think there's any debate about that either. That's a really good point. I think Ole Miss did really want this game. They wanted it a little bit more. They had a lot more pep in their step. Uh, it did seem like this game was a step down compared to what Penn State must have thought they were playing in. But again, it's a near six bowl game, much like, you know, last year in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, is it probably the top tier near six? No, but it is a it near six game nonetheless. And I think the, the lack of, I don't want to say lack of effort because I do think there are players that, that obviously went all out. Um, but it does leave a sour taste in your mouth as far as things go um, with a certain amount of things. But at the same time, you know, that's, that is now college football. That is kind of the way that things are. 
but you got to bring it. And, and there's a lot, a lot to question here uh, for Penn state now um, down the line. Yeah, there certainly is. And there's also a lot of promise because a lot of this team is coming back. Um, Johnny Dixon, Kalen King, Chop Robinson are among the only ones on the defensive side going to the NFL draft. Curtis Jacobs and Adisa Isaac will be going as well. So the defense returns. Abdul Carter, who had an absolute game until he was hurt. Um, I mean, Vanover, denied Dennis Sutton, will still be back on the edge. So a lot of promise on this defense. This defense is probably going to be top five again next year. Um, it has the chance to be just as good because Cam Miller and Zion Tracy, quite frankly, have a lot of potential. I mean, there was tight coverage all day long for him. It's just Jackson Dart. You got to tip your hat to him. Hate the way he spells his name, but he earned the X today because he was just throwing balls on a spot and just beating really tight coverage by Cam Miller and Zion Tracy and, quite frankly, the rest of the defensive back in. So it's it's, it's it burns today, but, you know, the future's still bright for this team. It's, it's not over, and this team's going to come back reloaded next year, and we'll see what they can do. We will come right back for the next segment of – the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network here after a quick break. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and in the Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. They are Kevin and Joe. Gentlemen, there was a game that was played. And regardless of the opt-outs, Penn State just did not play well enough to win. We alluded to this uh, in the first segment. Ole Miss had everything dialed up for what they needed. Jackson Dart looked incredible. Um, and, and Lane Kiffin and his, and his staff did a great job of, of really game planning and, and finding Penn State's weaknesses and exploiting them. And, and that was, I think, the name of the game uh, for, the, for the Rebels uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it was. And Ole Miss had a really good offensive plan, knowing that Penn State was probably going to be short at cornerback. A lot of 50-50 balls that they just seemed to come down down with. Um, Trey Harris had a had a good game. Seven, 13 targets, seven receptions for a buck 34. Penn State was weak on the outside, so the safeties were trying to help the cornerbacks as best they could, which left Caden Prescorn wide open every single time that they threw the ball to him. He had 11 targets, caught 10 of them for 136. I mean, every time you you looked at the screen, or I'm sure if, if you guys, every time you looked up from your laptops, look at the field from the press box, Prescorn or Harris were catching the ball for at least 15, 20 yards every time. It was, it was demoralizing performance on the defense, um, and I'm sure we'll get to the offense. Yeah, and – could be um it's kind of crazy how well the game started on both ends right defensively the first three plays Ole Miss gets negative four yards and that's the punt and then uh offensively only got three points but still had a pretty damn good drive with Catron Allen and Nicholas Singleton leading the way um and then everything else um just kind of the hell after that but um we, we got to give Ole Miss credit uh for sure especially offensively I said and I, I probably should add some context to this tweet. I said that Ole Miss kind of played over its head. So what I meant by that was those catches, like, you don't see the that quantity of great catches every single game. Like, you just don't. Like, they were making 
like just circus level stuff everywhere. And I, I know Ole Miss's offense was good. Uh, they statistically were the best offense Penn State played all season, and it wasn't even particularly all that close. Ole Miss is in the top fifteen, I think. Ohio State's like thirty six in total offense. Michigan is sixty something, if I have that right, but. You know, and Jackson Dart was leading the whole thing, and um, a good way to summarize the game would be that Jackson Dart played like five-star QB and Drew Aller didn't. And I, I, it's tough to kind of find the words to say how truly bad Penn State looked at times. It, it did not seem, you know, it did not seem at many times that this was uh, the game, the way that it, it was. It was a 13-point game at the end of the day. But, you know, going into the half, it was only a three-point game. And then Penn State really didn't do a terrible job against Ole Miss in the third quarter, but they didn't score. They didn't find the end zone. And then they, find, they found a touchdown late to Trey Wallace. But in this, and you look at the statistics, I mean, 540 yards to 510 yards. But for Penn State, for as good as their defense was coming into this game, to give up 540 yards – 394 yards of that coming through the air is absurd. I thought Penn State also played some undisciplined football, six penalties for 50 yards. But, again, you know, they, they had the chances early. They didn't take them. I thought Keandre Lambert-Smith, the one thing that he did in this game, he should have gotten a penalty called. Um, but on a pass interference there early in the game. But they, they kind of battled each other back and forth. And then – Ole Miss kind of settled in, took advantage of Penn State um, not uh, – of Abdul Carter not being on the field, and it was aggressive in that regard. And when that happened, they were able to go up tempo and, and really get into a situation that, that put Penn State on their heels, and Penn, the Nittany Lions were never really able to recover. Yeah, and I, I just want to say one more thing about Abdul Carter before we get to the offense. Donnie Collins said it best. If you saw the play that Abdul Carter got hurt on, it's not necessarily a chop block. You could argue the center was engaged with Abdul Carter. He had reached his hand out and put his hand on Abdul Carter, and then the left guard comes in and chops him. But it's a cut block, and Donnie Collins said it best. If you want players to play these games, you have to take you have to make that kind of play illegal because it's a clear intent just to go low, to slow that guy down. Abdul Carter was absolutely dominated with the Ole Miss front all game long. Ole Miss – it was really felt like Penn State advantage early because Penn State was just winning on every play. It was pressure every time. And Jackson Dart was just having to throw those prayers and they were just getting caught every time. It if I think if you go back, the Cam Miller not being an interception, great play on his part. It just unfortunately bounced. And then the fumble where was it deny that hit? No, it was Abdul Carter that hit Jackson Dart's arm. He hit his elbow, which made the arm go forward, which made it an incomplete pass. It's like it was so ticky-tack that it's like, man, that really could have been a fumble. And if that's a fumble, that's deep in Ole Miss territory. Penn State has a chance to get a touchdown there. Not getting a touchdown the first drive really, really hurt the hurt the Nittany Lions. But same old song and dance with the offense. Like we said, all season long, I, I really question the 12 personnel. I, I don't know how good the wide receivers are. But if you're only putting out two wide receivers in the pattern and you're putting out Tyler Warren and Khalil Dinkins, Khalil and Tyler can probably be covered pretty easily with safeties or with really athletic linebackers. Can really athletic linebackers match up against Trey Wallace, KLS, 
and Omari Evans or Caden Saunders. I, I don't know if you you fully took advantage of that matchup. Trey Wallace found success late. Garbage time Ole Miss really isn't playing defense. I'm sure they had their reserves in, but it just seems like this offense, yeah, the wide receiver core was bad, but it was never put in a position to be successful all season long. And didn't really expect that to change. Maybe we thought Kotal Nicky would maybe have his little a little bit of his thumb on the pulse there and been able to install some things or maybe make some different play calls, but he truly was just an advisor for bowl season and that's we saw what happened. So we'll see what it is next week or next year. Yeah, and uh Ole Miss's offense is really kind of what people want from Penn State's offense, you know, fast pace, uh deep really good receivers. Um and Hopefully, as you mentioned, Kevin, uh, Cole Nicky's going to be there uh, next year. Uh, we'll see. He's going to have a lot of pressure on him, man. Uh, it's it's literally like I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Like that, that's what it's going to be. If they don't perform, um, the honeymoon's going to end real quick. And uh, speaking of real quick, not to look too far ahead, Penn State could very well start 0-1 next season. Going into Morgantown, probably at night, nothing confirmed yet, but the rumor, the scuttlebutt is that it's going to be at night, a Thursday night, um, against what could be a pretty darn good West Virginia team. That's going to tell a lot. And uh, you go back to 2022, which was a year where, you know, coming off the 11-11 combined in 2020 and 21, you got a tough game at Purdue. Under the lights, week one, Penn State wins in dramatic fashion and set the tone for what ended up being a pretty successful season. So um, if Penn State can get a big win against West Virginia week one on the road as opposed to beating West Virginia at home when everybody was expecting them to win the win from the way, uh, that, could, that could set a big tone, and losing to West Virginia would set a different kind of tone. And West Virginia will be ranked for that matchup. Yeah. And, and deservedly so. Deservedly so. You know, looking back on this, Joe and I talked about this after uh, post game. West Virginia is Penn State's best win this year. Um, when you kind of look back, Iowa could be up there. But truthfully, I think West Virginia is their best win. That came in week one. That's not good. Um, Penn State obviously needs more out of the offense. Is Andy Cotal Nickley the answer? I got, they hope so. They Certainly need that has. consistency. But it starts with the receivers. Uh, they schematically weren't great. Penn State knew that. The receiving room was not good coming into this year. They expected Keandre Lambert Smith to take a step up, and he did to an extent, but then he took a step back. He was a non-factor for almost half the season. Um, and like James Franklin said in his press conference, they needed to be a threat. The throwing down the field had to be a threat, and it was maybe less threatening than a turtle um, just walking on the side of the road. Um, it was not threatening at all at, at any point whatsoever they did finally finally in the fourth quarter a wide receiver caught a pass it took them three full quarters to get the receivers involved in the game you know a two tight end set with theo johnson and tyler warren is not a bad situation in the bowl game however tyler warren didn't suit up after his touch or didn't play after his touchdown he's going to the league so there's that but for penn state schematically they got to figure out a way to get the receivers even if they're not good schematically get them open crossing routes anything i understand that they've had a month 
you're not going to overhaul the offense in a month uh, of bull prep, but it speaks volumes when Dante Cephas doesn't see the field. And James Franklin's words after the game are that he had opportunities to challenge to take a spot in the depth chart, but even with the return of Harrison uh, Trey Wallace, he didn't do a good job. He didn't do enough to get move, to move up on a depth chart. On a depth chart that 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 is that bland and that blah, that he couldn't move up. That speaks a lot about the state of the receiver room and Dante Cephas currently for Penn State. Yeah, and the other transfer wide receiver they brought in, Malik McLean, he only had four snaps all game long. So why why are we bringing people in to not play them? And let's see, Liam Clifford has the third most snaps at wide receiver today. Do we? Yeah, the, the first two catches by receiver today. You do you want the little red dog to be your number three wide receiver? I I, I just it really baffles me. I don't know what Malik McLean and Dante Cephas do, but both brought experience from the F, from FBS. McLean not as much, but Cephas was a thousand thousand yard guy. And he just doesn't see the field, so I don't know what's what's with Hagen's. Hagen's didn't recruit him. Hagen's got hired January twenty third, well after the transfer portal closes. So he's not Hagen's guy. So Hagen's, I mean, it's his first year. He had a rough first year, but we do have to remember that none of these guys on the roster are his guys. So you know, there's there's something to play there. And quite frankly, the receiver wasn't recruited well before they got there, but. We'll see if the transfer portal holds. There is a guy out there who's uncommitted driving a Blaze Alexander pickup truck right now. Um, probably should have come to Penn State a few years ago, but uh, if he spends his final year of eligibility at Penn State, that's a, that is a sudden boost. He's, he's a guy that notoriously can't stay healthy, but uh, he's a sudden boost to, to the for Penn State roster. For McLean and Cephas, they combined for 28 catches and 317 yards this year. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, and the pressure is on. I talked about the pressure is going to be on Andy Cotal Nikki. The pressure is on Marcus Hagan's next season, man. No doubt about it. Because if things don't go well next year, I put very little, if any, of the receivers this year on Marcus Hagan's. I think it was a combination of it this not being his guys. He didn't Dante Cephas committed the day that Taylor Stubblefield was fired and Malik McLean committed a little bit uh, after I forget when he committed, maybe Hagen's recruited him, uh, but that's really about it. And you're replacing a guy that got fired for not recruiting. Taylor Stubblefield didn't get fired because the guys weren't performing. You know, you had Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, and of course, Shahan Dotson under Stubblefield's watch. So it wasn't that it was because he wouldn't recruit. Um, that's why. Uh, so Hagen's had, I don't want to say a bear cupboard, but pretty close to one coming in. It's hard to make chicken salad from chicken scratch. And I don't think the personnel always helped him either. Uh, which that's, he, he doesn't control, you know, who gets what playing time in the offense. That's the coordinator. But next season, if the receivers are perform, it's either going to be because Hagen's didn't do his job in recruiting, or Hagen's didn't do his job in in developing. That's he's. It's going to be on him next season. I'm rooting. You're not supposed to root in media, but part of me is rooting for 
Marcus Higgins, he's an awesome guy. Um, I think in the limited uh, interactions I've had with him, and I think he does have a good track record, but the pressure's on next season, and I'm sure Marcus Higgins knows that. And it's also on the players to develop themselves. Yeah. There needs to be a competition to be wide receiver number one, not a competition of who can be the worst to get in at wide receiver three. It like, does seem like the wide receiver room has been toxic this year. There have been rampant rumors about lack of leadership, lack of effort, lack of things, and and it shows. Um, it very clearly shows that is by far the worst position group on, in the program right now. Um, and for Penn State, when Tyler Warren is your best receiver, this is no disrespect to Tyler Warren who had an incredible year and is back for Penn State, which is huge. They need that leadership back. But – you know, when, when Tyler Warren and Nicholas Singleton are your top receivers in a bowl game, it's not a great situation for your offense. No, And don't get me wrong, Nicholas Singleton had a great game, and so did Tyler Warren. But you got to get some some semblance of, productive, of, of production from the receivers, and they just did not have that all year, really. No. And, and, it, and, it, and it was put on display quite frequently against um, Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. But we're going to talk a little bit more when we come back about the state of college football and where Penn State goes from here when we get back for the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Nittany Sports Now Network. They are Kevin and Joe. I am Jared. We are here to talk a little bit about where Penn State goes from here. To be honest with you, they have more questions now leading into the offseason than they did coming into this game. Tom Allen is now the defensive coordinator. Andy Kotelnicki is now the offensive coordinator. It's their shows offensively and defensively. What is going to happen with the receivers room? Do they encourage those guys to explore other options? Some of them probably will, and they should. Um, What – What's next for Drew Aller? What's next for Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton? And there are a lot more questions than answers now, um, at least in my opinion, from from uh, before the game. Yeah, and I think I think this game is one that can galvanize. Right, last year they had that triumphant win in the Rose Bowl. Everything's good. Sean Clifford rides off into the sunset after tumultuous career. Drew Aller looks to be this five-star stud, the best quarterback this program's ever seen. Catron Allen, Nick Singleton, they're the best thing since sliced bread. The wide receivers look promising. The defense, we know it's going to be good. And all summer long, we're talking about, man, this team, like, if they get it done against Ohio State and Michigan, like, we're talking national champion. And, you know, they'll at least win one of those games. And, you know, if if not national champion and not college football playoff, maybe they're number five, number six. I wrote them as number five, beating Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Ironically, Florida State did lose the Orange Bowl today, but um, well, they didn't lose the Orange Bowl. <laughs> we'll so get to mantle their JV team. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that later. But this is a galvanizing loss because now I, I don't think they're college football. They're not a top four team next year. Yeah. Maybe they can sneak into the top 12 if if everything goes the best. So they are going to have doubters, both national media, both in the local media. 
this could be a galvanizing win. And as we saw with Ole Miss, bulletin board material is important, even if it's your own staffer making it up. Yeah. And I saw, I forget which uh, Penn State fan account tweeted it, but I think it was, you know, fan accounts are always hit or miss. Um, but it was something like people got to be uncomfortable going into this offseason from whatever it's fans. Uh, I think the tweet said fans, but I don't agree on the fans then because, like, we, we don't have any. I don't want to say we were media, but fans do not have an impact on what happens in the game. They just don't. Uh, that's a different debate. But um, everybody in the program, you compare uh, the feeling after the Rose Bowl and what the feeling was. It was all excitement, right, for the next seven, eight months. It was how good could this team be? How good is Drew Auer going to be? How good's the defense going to be? Uh, does this team have what it takes to beat Ohio State or Michigan? Uh, the, the sky is the limit, or Michael, as Michael Jordan once famously said, the ceiling is the roof. But – 2024, I think, is going to be more like 2022 and that there is a lot at stake. Penn State, it's kind of a weird dynamic to where I don't think the team is as good on paper as 2023 was, but there also might be more pressure on it at the same time. And that's a paradox, but there's just so many years of leaving the season and feeling is that all there is? And the more those years pile up, the more uneasy it gets. So, yeah, the last time uh, Penn State went into a uh, offseason, I think, uncomfortable was before 2022, and 2022 worked out uh, pretty well for Penn State. I'd say that led to the high expectations of 2023. Now, with a more uneasy offseason, let's see how the team – responds in 2024. Let's see how Andy um does in his debut as offensive coordinator. Let's see how Tom Allen does. Let's see how Marcus Higgins does. We've mentioned Phil Troutwine is going to have a lot of work to do because a lot of the offensive line is not coming back. Deion Barnes is going to be losing. I think the defensive line is going to be fine, but still losing Chop Robinson and Lisa Isaac, that is not an easy thing. And then for Drew Auer, you know, Obviously, the pressure doesn't need to be explained there. Same goes for the rest of that great 2022 class. And the 2022 class, that's another thing, is this was a class that people thought was going to lead Penn State to glory. And next year, for most, if not all of those blue chip, uh, not the whole class, but the top guys in that class, it's going to be the last chance because if they're, they play the way they're capable of, they're going to declare for the draft. So it's not comfortable at all. And a lot of people have, a lot of pressure on the next season, players and staff. I couldn't have put it any better, Joe. I think that's a really good way to look at it. You know, there is a lot of pressure and it's necessary. But, yeah, there's nothing to be comfortable about with Penn State leading into the offseason. Um, Drew Aller needs to take a step forward. Singleton and, and Allen, I think, were the most consistent players this year. But even at times, they weren't consistent, um, consistently improving from what it seems. They say or at least it's not how it looked. Um, I think Tyler Warren is the most improved player offensively. Um, he was their steady Eddie. He's their guy. Um, God knows what the offense is going to look like at receiver. Um, defensively, you know, they, obviously defensive back is a, is a question mark right now. Um, they lose a lot of experience in the secondary. Uh, safety as well. And I think the front will be okay. 
But there's a lot of room and a lot of question marks going into the spring game and spring practice. It'll be interesting to see who is capable of stepping up and delivering when when necessary. But now it, it's into the into the offseason and the rest of bowl season. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. Georgia absolutely dismantled Florida State's JV team. And this is kind of where football is right now. We, we mentioned this in the first segment, but every prominent coach, James Franklin, Lane Kiffin, um, Kirby Smart mentioned it. Chip Kelly had a great, great speech about it after their game. Something's got to give for for everything as far as, far as the schedule, as far as the portal, as far as, as far as NIL. And there's so many different layers to this, and that's kind of what we're seeing. But something's got to give. Uh, in college football right now because it is it is a disastrous system. And that's why you see a team in a premier bowl game in, in the Orange Bowl get thumped by 60. That shouldn't happen, but that happens when players opt out. And I believe that is the largest bowl score differential in history. Uh, I think the previous record was last year's national championship game, which I believe was 54 points, something in that neighborhood. So worst. Worst bowl game in history. Uh, before we go down the worst bowl season in history, wormhole. I want to shout out Northwestern. David Braun gets the job. What August, late July, early August gets the gets the job for Northwestern. Leads them to an eight and five season. And beats Utah in the Las mm-hmm. Vegas Bowl. So shout out to Northwestern before we go down the wormhole of bad, bad bowl games because that's what bowl season's about. That David Braun built a lot of good momentum this year for Northwestern and. That looks like a program that could be definitely be on the rise. So um, you want to talk about opt-outs hurting teams. <laughs> Ohio State put up three points against Missouri in the Fiesta Bowl the other night. and did That not- wasn't even an opt-out. I mean, well, I guess you could consider Marvin Harrison Jr. opting out. A, a yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty prominent um, opt-out. But losing opt-out your starting quarterback to opt-out the transfer. Portal, I think, is even bigger than that. Yeah, it's, it's opt-outs and transfers. They're one and the same to me. The portal should be open after bowl season. It should be open. But the problem is bowl season runs so late that you have to be at your new school before the next semester starts. So you can't make it. It's not going to get any better next year with the way the schedule is made. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of a victim of that. But I mean, Ohio State puts up three points against Mizzou and looks far less than pedestrian on the offensive side of the ball. And I I worry for the coaches of college football now granted they're making millions of dollars they signed up for this job but it's getting to the point where you got to be thinking about what's going to happen with this, these guys' mental and physical health with the way college football is set up Blaine Kiffin I think has done a great job of kind of championing championing excuse me that things kind of need to change with the way college football is set up in the month of December you got the portal you got bull prep, you got signing day, and you got and um college basketball coaches obviously have a hard to- job too, but they're managing fifteen guys. Football coaches are managing a maximum of 100, 105 of them. So it's already brutal as it is. And there's just the job is already difficult enough, and it seems like it is just getting worse and worse as the years go on. And next season when the playoffs start in late December. I think they're slated to start the same week as signing day. It's just getting absurd. And I don't want to throw a pity party for college football coaches because they're better off than most people are. 
But these guys are so human beings. They have families. They got their health. They got their health to worry about. You know, they're. There's, there's, everybody has a limit regardless of how much you're making and regardless of what perks your life has. And I worry for them because it just seems like this way college football is set up is getting more ridiculous as the, as the years go on. Something needs to be done. What What is done, I don't know, but the schedule needs to change. I don't have a lot of empathy for college coaches that make 9, 10 11 million dollars a year um, solely because that's the job and the way that things have gone right now. Um, it's unfortunate because yeah. they're allowed to leave whenever they can to go find a better job. Um, but yeah, well, what, is, if they found a better job, then there's still going to be all the same issues. Right. Right. But and, what I'm saying is like, I, I, I draw the line at, at feeling sorry. It's kind of the system. And, it, and Lane Kevin even said this um, during the week. It's, he ha- you have to maximize it. Like just because they don't like it doesn't mean that you can't just ignore it. And I think that's the that's the thing too. This is it's a big enough problem where now you can't ignore the the disaster that is the schedule. It, it, it plus you've also got to re-recruit your own guys. So you're recruiting high schoolers. You're recruiting portal. You're recruiting your own roster. There's just so much that the coaches have to do. And yeah, it's tough. It's not easy whatsoever anymore. Not that it ever was, but yeah. there's just so much now that, that kind of has gotten away from everything um, that makes college football great. The football aspect of it has been, outside of certain games, has been pretty solid. The, it's the business side of college football that is an absolute tire fire right now, and they've got to fix it, and they've got to fix it soon because it's not going to get any better anytime soon if they don't step in and do something almost immediately. Because the longer they let this fester, the longer they make let this go, it's going to change the game, and not in a good way either. Yeah, yeah and the hard the hard part is sorry, Joe. The hard there, part is National Signing Day, because it falls right in the middle of bowl season. You can't early move signing it. day is awful. You can't put it earlier because then you're. I don't know about you guys, but when I was in high school, we had finals. They called them first semester finals, but it's not quite the end of the first semester. They had first semester finals right before Christmas break. So like the last week before you go on Christmas break, you're worrying about tests. Well, then you have to put national signing day a week after that. Well, then that puts it right next to Christmas, which is right when the college football playoff starts. And then the transfer portal opens at the same time. I mean, do they just need to get rid of national early signing day? And if you want to early enroll, you you sign after the team's bowl game and then you show up on January 1st to, to go to class. Like, is that the solution? I think that's a better solution because the early enrollees, there's, there's no real drama to national signing day anymore. Anyways, pretty much the entire top 300 commits well before national signing day, there's maybe five or six guys that bring the drama. It doesn't have any like juice that ESPN wanted. Not that they're the, that, not that they're the curators of early signing day, but they do make a big TV event out of it. So like, just move signing day back to April and March, March and April. And it just makes everything that much, that much easier. If you, if you don't have early, the early enrollees will show up first semester one, regardless, you don't need to make, make the big fanfare of it. There's no mystery about it anymore. So just get rid of national early signing day. Sign. The early signing day was perfectly fine up until it interferes with now the portal. And, and everything else going on in December, especially with, with bull stuff. Like, 
I get why they did it in the first place. Whatever, most of these players are going to be enrolled or they want to unroll early. But now, and like you said, you know, they're still going to enroll early. Then figure it, figure out a way to make this happen. Maybe it's maybe moving it. Maybe even you move it up. You move early signing day up to when most schools have their finals, the beginning of December, which is right at the end of the high school football season. And then you move the portal and all that stuff back to after the last bowl is played. That's the school- only way that I can see this working if they want to keep a similar system. And it alleviates a little bit of, of stress here. But the biggest thing is if you're transferring, you're more than likely going to be off campus for that next semester anyway. So go, you know, enter the portal, have the portal open after the new year, and then I guess go from there, which is would be my only way to fix the, the fix it the way that it is right now. Go ahead, Joe. You can jump in. I cut you off last time. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I don't want to I don't want to throw a pity party uh, for coaches, but you still in December you still got to worry about keeping between eighty five and one hundred and five kids from doing stupid stuff away from the football field. So that's another factor of it. Um, and yeah, I just I. I I never really liked early signing day to begin with. I thought that when it was in February, um, it made more sense. Uh, but they moved. I get early enrollees, and that benefits programs too. But, I mean, Admiral Carter came in the summer, and he turned out just fine. So, um, I don't know. I can kind of see uh, both ends of that. Uh, but, yeah, college football is – out of control, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think it's going to be getting a lot worse, and until the ACC collapses and we go to four conferences and there's finally a push to get rid of football conferences, everything goes back to regional for every other sport, and the NCAA, hopefully it's not them, but somebody takes control of actual college football. There's a commissioner like Franklin wants. And then they can make their own schedule and it's not bound by any other rules. And, you know, they get all this tampering out and there's actually a penalty for Ole Miss making that burner account and Michigan cheating. And and we, you, you get rid of the cheating because you finally get speakers <coughs> in the helmets. And they've tried Microsoft surface, surfaces on the sidelines of some games. I bet a Penn State had that. I bet James Franklin's really effective at in-game in changes, changes because he can get the film right there. And I think college football is stuck in the stone age. There are high school programs that have more technology on the sideline than college football is allowed to have. And it's college football is how many billion dollar business and they can't get that. They can't get that right. Well, the crazy thing about the the on field technology or on sideline technology is that Penn state wanted to use that this week, but they elected not to uh, because both teams had to agree and Ole Miss did not agree. And, And honestly, I can see why Ole Miss didn't agree to it. Because that completely interferes with their up-tempo style um, of play. So I completely understand that. But you mentioned the burner account. The burner account is absolutely hilarious. And for those of you that that don't know what happened, a Penn St- or an, an Ole Miss staffer, a student assistant coach, made a burner Penn State fan account that had fake quotes and everything from Penn State players 
to provide bulletin board material. Lane Kiffin retweeted some of it. Um, and I, though I, when I looked, I didn't find any of it earlier today, but it was so absolutely bizarre. And, and, and what was crazy is they asked him about it in the, in the press conference and, and Lane Kiffin just laughed about it. That, and, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, they didn't need the bulletin board material. The, the bullet, the material was right in the tape all along for Penn state. Uh, as far as Ole Miss was concerned, but that is the craziness of college football right now is, you know, you have burner accounts, you have the on-site, the in-game technologies and in-helmet communications and stuff like that. But, but man, it's a, it's a beautiful sport. It's a beautiful game. But the off-the-field stuff outside the white lines is just so ugly right now that that I don't know what needs to be fixed first. Yeah, the the shenanigans is the shenanigans is outweighing the beauty of the game. It's the game was all about tradition and the Rose Bowl being the Big Ten, the Pac twelve, and now you got kids just transferring four and five times because oh yeah, the one transfer rule got struck down as being not allowed and not permissible and against free trade or whatever the hell they cited for that one. So yeah, now we're back to, you can transfer every year if you want to, and you can play for eight colleges and you can get how many additional medical expenses. We're just going to have 32 year olds playing quarterback for Washington to lead them to the playoff from now on. Like it just seems that that's where the game is heading. And someone who grew up a big time fan of college football, way more than the NFL. It sucks. Like it just, it just stinks. Now, we haven't even hit on the fact that, and I know this this is widely talked about, but uh, the dead rivalries, too. And that that's also another part of it, because you think of what rivalry week used to be. Um, and I know Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State, those aren't really big-time rivalries. But the fact that Penn State is not going to play either of them in 2025, I mean, that, that just sucks. That really does. So that, that's another part of the whole thing. It is tough to get excited about rivalries when Penn State is unrivaled. Or yeah. so they say. But, but yeah, right. Not I mean, pretty rivaled. You know, and they're rivaled against teams that are uh, ranked top 15 or above. Um, but for, for moving forward for the for Penn State and college football, I mean, we a couple of years ago, we wanted the NCAA to get away from everything. And the NCAA got their hands caught in the hot water. They lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. They kind of take a step back. Now you have NIL. We didn't even talk about NIL. NIL is an absolute trap. Is a is a disaster. Um, you know, and I think that factors into things too. But there's just so much that needs fixed about this game. That, and the way that things are set up now, that they need to figure this out, and they need to figure it out yesterday um, to to kind of preserve everything. But now it's the off season. And we got the Rose Bowl coming up. This episode is going to be released on Sunday if we do this right. So we've got all kinds of, of good football action. We got the Rose Bowl, which I've been fortunate enough to cover. Joe's been fortunate enough to be there. And then we've also got the Sugar Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, as well as the other mm-hmm. semifinal. Yeah. One of the traditions that stinks is that the Rose Bowl has to kick off at 5 o'clock. So that pushes the second semifinal to 8.45 p.m. on a Monday night. I don't work Tuesday, but for those who do, you're going to have to stay up really late. In the I night. work Tuesday. It's not going to be great. Nope. Got the sacrifice you have to make. Uh, predictions. I think it's going to be Alabama v. Texas in the final 
Yeah. Uh, I'll go. I'll go Texas over Michigan in the final. I got a feeling about Texas. Oh, you say I, I like Alabama. I think I'm on the I'm on I'm, I'm on the roll tide train. The SEC has done its job against the Big Ten uh, of late, and I think the whole world is going to be outside of the mitten is going to be rooting for Michigan. Yeah, I, I don't know who's going to win the semi the the final, but I mean, if it's Alabama Texas, I think Alabama's going to wipe the floor with them because Jalen Milrow is on a completely. It, it different is very level. hard to bet against. Um, it's very hard to bet against Nick Saban this time of year. It really is. Oh yeah. Although Jim, Jim, speaking, we we met. This is how this is how bizarre college football is right now. Uh, they have Bull Media Day for the playoff teams, and they had a James and Jim Harbaugh, our favorite Harbaugh, right? Um, talked about Jesus being Moses. a five star. Oh, I was going to mention that. Oh, did Jesus you, is going to be a five star? Did you hear that? Uh, he said, uh, "Like Moses, I lean on my staff." Um, yes, that was. Well, that it's was crazy tough. when you don't coach half the season. It's pretty, pretty tough. It's all about who you surround yourself with. Luckily for me, I surround myself with Kevin and Joe on a weekly basis. Joe in the press box uh, every week. Before we sign off and, and kind of for the for the regular for the 2023, I guess really because uh, it's the end of the year, um, the end of the calendar year. Um, Peach Bowl was an excellent atmosphere, excellent um, time. There's so much to do here in Atlanta. It was great. Um, it was I'm fortunate enough that this is my third. New Year's Six Bowl game uh, while covering the Penn State beat. But, you know, it, it's always fun to kind of look back and, and see how things go. I'm looking forward to the rest of the offseason and getting some time to stay away from football for a minute. But overall, I thought it was a, it was a great time here in, in Atlanta, and I'm very fortunate enough to, to be here. Yep. I concur. With that said, I- go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Uh, I just want to cover what we talked about before the show. The best thing to come out of bowl season is the stupid Pop Tarts bowl. Pop Tart, uh, yeah, we had to talk about the Pop Tart. Um, the best, the best meme is uh, the Pop Tart going down in the toaster and it goes, "This is my body, which will be given up for you, uh, dude." Just what a what a show! If you're a European or just someone who's not American, you're just watching and you catch a glimpse of the freaking Pop Tart bowl with an edible mascot. You're like, "What the hell is going over on?" in the continental and uh, that's the embodiment of it, baby. Uh, cheese, it's mayo. And now, and now pop tarts. Exactly. The pop tart was phenomenal. What will they think of next? Now what's crazy is that was the most watched game in bulls during bull season to date. Um, I'm sure that will change, but the amount of value that the pop tart has brought Kellogg's and the pop tart brand is second to none. Luckily, there are no active peaches destroyed at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Though, I must say, I have never had so much Chick-fil-A in my life. I'm going to turn into a cow at some point, I think. Did you see that the Pop-Tart mascot like actually slapped the referee on the ass? What? Yes. 100%. I did not see that. Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> the, the shenanigans of the, and the debauchery that was the Pop-Tart's mascot was worth it every second. There's a reason he was sacrificed at the end of the game. (laughs) But we need a slap in the ass to end this show and head into the new year. We'll catch you on the flip side of 2024 for Kevin Quigley and Joe Smelter and the Pop-Tart mascot. We'll catch you next year. (laughs) 